Welcome to another episode of the Get Your Edge podcast. I'm your host, Brian Bott from Sports Advantage here in the Madison-Dane County area. Uh, very excited about our guest today. Um, looking forward to, to sitting down and chatting with him here. But before I bring him on, uh, we're going to bring on my co-host over there with the Fox Valley Throws, Kimberly Papermakers, Coach Manchi. Dino, how we doing over there? I'm super excited today. We got a thrower on, and you know I run the Fox Valley Throws Club, and anytime I have a thrower on, especially one of this elite caliber as Josh is, I'm super excited to get this thing going, Brian. Well, see, uh, Josh, and I'll, we'll bring you on here in a second. See, this is what happens with this podcast is, is Dean's been head of recruiting, you know, and whatnot. So we either got Fox Valley guys on or we got throwers on. And so I'm usually the kind of odd man out here since I'm the bald <laughs> baseball player. But um, but I'm going to try and I'm going to try and keep up with you two throwers here today. OK, um, before we go, before we bring uh, Josh on um, as our as our guest, uh, I really want to thank all of our listeners. You know, we got a lot of great high school coaches and, and parents that are listening and sharing it with their kids, um, high school athletes, college athletes that are, that are listening. Remember, uh, we, don't run, we don't run ads on the show uh, for the very reason that, you know, we want it shared within classrooms and within teams and things like that. We hope the messages are hitting kids because a lot of our messages are very consistent um, about leadership and about work ethic, things like that. So, Again, you know, coaches, please share it with your team if you can. Um, athletes, share it with your friends. Uh, make an effort to to share the podcast, stuff like that. We really appreciate it. Uh, but Josh, we're gonna we're gonna bring Josh on here. Um, Josh is gonna tell us a little bit about himself, and then we're gonna we're gonna dive in depth here with with uh, with his career and some of the things. So Josh, uh, why don't you take it away and give us a, an introduction? We we freelance the introduction. Um, so the floor is yours, brother. We're, we're really excited to have you on. <laughs> yeah. Thank you guys. I appreciate you for having me on. Uh, first, uh, my name is Josh Cinemo for people who I know a lot of people see my last name and they're, they're unsure of how that goes. So it's just Cinemo pretty easy. Um, and I think as an older statesman in the Paralympic realm, I first always want to mention that I'm a husband and a father because those kind of come first in my life, despite the fact that so many important things around athletics happen to come along, right? Um, I'm an IT professional. I work at the state of Minnesota. I run a nonprofit called Team Some Assembly Required. And I'm a spokesperson, obviously, for Paralympic sport and a huge proponent, uh, both personally and from uh, the nonprofit side of globally, this, this idea of fitness and camaraderie and competition bridging to your, your life and your self-confidence and your independence and your purpose. And so that's, that's big, not only for me personally, but something I try to advocate for on behalf of adaptive athletes. Um, also, I'm the 2020 bronze medalist in, in the uh, shot put for the Paralympic team and Team USA. I'm a member of the Valesa Track Club, uh, which is headquartered here in Minneapolis, St. Paul, where I live. And um, now I'm here with you guys and I'm on to... Uh, talk a little bit about my life and, and my interaction with sports and leadership and all those kinds of things. So I appreciate you guys having me on. Hey, Josh, uh, congratulations too on that, that's on that bronze awesome. medal. That, that's yeah, thank you. incredible. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that Tokyo 2020 experience, but I want to jump into, let's go way back when you were young, you were a multi-sport <laughs> athlete, read that you played some, you know, you set, played some soccer, you did some football, mm -hmm. obviously you did track, you know, what was that experience like? as you were getting into it and how did you get interested in athletics? 
Yeah, I would say um, getting into soccer, which is what I played the vast majority of my youth uh, up until about halfway through high school, um, I was just excited to be on a team sport. I, I'm a big team sport guy. I, obviously, as somebody who throws shot put now, that's you're kind of an, on an island by yourself. But I, I always loved being a part of a team, having people, the necessity to have people have to uh, rely on me for something and vice versa. And so um, playing in those sports, that was always something that I, I could lean on like, hey, I can level myself up as a disabled athlete by being uh, someone on this team that they can look to that, that maybe even wins uh, games for us or, or is important as a puzzle piece in this whole thing, right? So that was really important to me. And then getting into sports was really about my two older brothers. One is five and one is seven years older. And where we grew up, it was all boys in the neighborhood and it was all street games all the time, depending on what part of the year it was, was the type of season it was out in the street. And so uh, because all the boys were older than I was, it was imperative for me to have to play up, you know? And so they didn't give me a break. They obviously, when you get around other boys, you know, competition is, is the highest uh, regard. Right. And so I had to play up to them and uh, I was never given, I was let, never let off the hook. Um, so if something happened and something didn't go well for me, it was like, yeah, get up, let's go. You, you're, you're up again. So, you know, <laughs> so I, but I've always been appreciative too, because my two older brothers were very supportive in that too. Although they allowed me to fail, they were also there to say, Hey man, like let's get up and try again. So, um, Athletics has always been a big part of my life. It's a way that I've, like I said, leveled up to able-bodied athletes and just people in general. I've always been competitive. And uh, even to this day, right, as a 40-year-old husband and father and somebody who's got a career, I'm still in a situation where I'm trying to compete every day because it's important to who I am. Man, I tell you what, Dean, I, and I'm already going to go off track. That sounds like 13th Avenue South in Alaska to me. You know, um, I used to compete against uh, my neighbor who was four and a half years older than me. And, and it was the same thing, right? If it was winter, we were playing football in the street because there was enough snow packed on and, you know, stuff like that. My, my, my best friend, Mike Norris, who, who listens to our podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, that was, and I think one of the things too, Josh, what I think was really good about what we brought up was playing up, right. Forced you to step your game up. I think a lot of parents and, different team sports want to play their kids down. Right. So they have more success when they're younger mm -hmm. versus playing up, you know, go, go challenge yourself when you're younger. So then when you get to high school, it's easier. Right. Yeah. And you know what, I, and it, to, to be fair and honest, like I, as someone with two children in traveling softball and baseball, I have those questions for myself. Like, should I have my daughter play one more year at the level she's at, or should I let her continue on? Uh, I think what happens is, you know what, for us, we had those games in the street and we could judge each other versus we can measure ourselves against the other kids and without having the pressure of parents having to pay money, uh, the, the idea that other kids are going to come in from out of different parts of the city. It's just there's so many more aspects of how youth sports happens now. They just there's no there's no opportunity for the kids to just play without that. And um, so I absolutely understand that. But, yeah, you know, I. I wish more people would, uh, or parents anyway, would advocate for adversity versus taking the easy way out. Well, we're done. So we're just going to put that out. <laughs> that's going to be, that's going to be the message. Josh, I, I agree. 100%. Um, Spot on. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. Facing adversity. Um, there's a, there's actually a good clip of an Ohio state coach. If anybody, the old coordinator talking about that, I shared it on my Instagram story and it's fantastic about facing adversity as a coach. Um, but anyways, back, we'll get back on you, Josh here. Um, <laughs> in your bio, um, and I've listened to a couple other podcasts that you've been on. Um, you kind of put off competing a little bit in, in, in the Paralympics and whatnot um, for some various reasons and things like that. Um, and kind of when you started, just from one of the podcasts I heard, you kind of just went and kind of did it just to kind of see, you know, where you're going to go and, and stuff like that. Um, and a lot of times um, athletes, you know, of all races, all genders, all shapes, sizes, no matter what, um, there, there's that fear that pops in of either competition or judgment or, or things like that. How did, how did you overcome that? How did you take that next step? you know, to kind of going into it, just doing it as kind of, I don't want to say a hobby because I don't think competitive people ever do things as a hobby, but <laughs> looking at it and then saying, okay, I'm really going to do this and I'm going to just go out there and, and compete. Yeah, that's, no, this is a good question. And it's, it's, um, I think it's a complicated answer, right? Right. Uh, because there are a lot of facets to it. I think the first 30 years of my life, I'll just say, I assumed disabled sports or what we now call adaptive sports. Uh, and this is my perspective only what I was, um, what I was afforded opportunities to, to look into it was based on pity. It felt to me, it, it was about participation. It was about, um, allowing, allowing you to try something, but it wasn't important for you to be performance based, but you know, it wasn't about performance and that turned me off because a lot of who I am is I want to be good across the board against disabled athletes, against able-bodied athletes in any sport in throwing darts at the bar. Right. And so the first 30 years of my life, I just assumed that disabled sports was about pity and it was uh, frowned upon other than just, uh, you know, I don't know. I, it, it just had a bad taste for me. Right. And what I, began to realize once I started CrossFit, which is, I started this when I was 30 years old and it offered me an opportunity first to kind of join um, a community that was supportive and what I was trying to do. And at the time I was in horrible shape and really what I was trying to do was just get into shape. I never touched a barbell in my life. I never touched a kettlebell. So I'd gone through all these sports, all these team sports through high school and college. I never touched a weight. And I finally got to this point where it was like, okay, now you're in a situation where you're doing something that's out of your comfort zone, but you're around people who care about you, who care about how it happens for you. They want to support the things that you're doing. And that was big for me because I had to, to sort of crawl, walk, run in strength and conditioning, which was hard, which is hard. It was the first time I ever had to do that. And um, although, that, although I had to do that, the, the community itself kind of blossomed to adaptive athletics because of that support. And I started to notice in, uh, online and on social media that there are other athletes who are adaptive that are pushing the envelope, who are worried about performance as opposed to just um, participating. And so that, that kind of, I don't know, I wouldn't say that it sparked curiosity, but it certainly aimed me in a direction that said, let's see if we can find more of these people and let's see if we can find additional avenues for me to compete in. And that's how I got into Paralympics, which is essentially just going to a combine where they're looking for athletes. And so, yeah, that was, that was the turning point, which was, Hey, 
uh, I turned to my wife and just said, Hey, I'm going to go to Chicago to this. Uh, what was it called? I forget what the name of the, 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 um, the games, but it was just basically a combine for athletes. And I, and I mean, who does that? Right. And we had a, we had a child maybe three weeks before that. And I just said, Hey, I'm going to go do this. Cause I, I need to compete. I need to figure out a way to compete. <laughs> and so that's what I did. You know, you won the uh, bronze medal and we talked about Tokyo 2020 Olympics. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, I know it's been a bucket list of mine to, to be able to see, you know, Olympics in person. Sure. What was that experience like for you, Josh? Kind of explain that to our viewers, listeners. Yeah, I think uh, overall it was a, it was a phenomenal experience. I think the Japanese, um, Tokyo 2020, which is the, the actual organization that ran it, did a wonderful job. The volunteers were wonderful. And I, and I truthfully believe, having been to a lot of places around the world, that this was probably one of the very few places during COVID that this would have happened. Uh, it was just, it was efficient. It was easy. It was clean. Um, there were a lot of protocols around uh, testing every day and all those sorts of things. And, and it was a wonderful experience in that way. Um, I also think it was a different experience than most people have had at a games because the number of athletes was shrunken down to basically the top eight of everything. So it really felt like you were in this uh, elite fraternity of athletes to participate in this particular games. Um, I would say it's the, my general assessment is I didn't realize how close the Pan Am games and the Olympic games kind of happen um, I would say they're sort of in parallel as to living in a village and uh, having a big cafeteria where the world sort of meets up to have meals and stuff like that. Um, the stadium itself, although we were allowed to have uh, the other athletes and people who were a part of that particular athletic event come and watch, the stadiums were empty. But I think you, you guys could probably understand that as an athlete, when you are participating in your event or your game, you don't technically realize what's happening in the stands and it kind of just feels like a competition anyway. Uh, but I would say overall that the, the, the games were uh, an amazing experience. And I hope that I have an opportunity to uh, go to the games in Paris and bring my family and have them experience what happens there and, and obviously give myself another opportunity to get on the, uh, the podium. Josh, Brian, and I both, you know, work with strength and conditioning. I work at the high school setting and Brian works at the, in the private sector. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to lift a lot and do lots of different things when you're a thrower. And I'm the mm-hmm. thrower coach at, at my high school as well. So what are some modifications training-wise that you did, you know, to accomplish this? Because you said you didn't do much lifting mm-hmm. and training in, in high school and even college when you were at Luther College. And so... What are some of the things that you had to do? Because obviously to, to perform at that level that you did, that had to be a major uh, focus in your training. So explain some of that to us. Yeah, well, I, you know, obviously a lot of it has to do with the barbell, right? Um, a lot of the training that we do around strength has to do with the barbell. Now, when I started in um, CrossFit, I focused on using the kettlebell because Initially, I didn't think there was an opportunity for me to even use a barbell. I just hadn't thought that far ahead yet. And so I used the kettlebell to sort of teach me how to squat, teach me how to snatch, teach me how to clean. All the, all the important lifts, a kettlebell taught me how to use my body to do those things. And it was a progression, right? It was like, okay, 
I did these things with this apparatus. Now it's time for me to try to deadlift because it's the lowest rung on the totem pole. Um, so let me try that with a barbell first, right? So we tried to come up with some pretty easy ways for me to, because CrossFit demands that you transition from one thing to another pretty quickly, that I'm glad that we had that because the mindset was, okay, how do we hurry up and do this? How, how do we make it the most efficient way we can? And it really ultimately came down to um, a gymnastics ring strap. So those long, like 40 foot yep. um, straps, we just cut one down to about two and a half feet. We wrapped around the barbell. I wrapped around my arm just to make up the difference between what I was missing on one side versus the other. And we started deadlifting. And, you know, after about six weeks of just doing deadlifts, it was like, I wonder if I could just kind of flip this thing over and do a clean. And so I do, you know, I did a clean and then I perfected that motion. And then when I got really excited, I started trying to do snatches. And, and I think, you know, I, I sort of created this way to lift with a barbell. No one, no one was doing this before I was. And I think people had probably established the thought in their head, like, yeah, we could probably do it like this, but no one yet had been brave enough to just kind of throw the weight over their head to see what happened <laughs> or dumb enough. Right. <laughs> Maybe that's the case. Sometimes you just have to, to throw caution to the wind and do things to see if it'll work. And in this particular case, that's what happened. And, and, um, I'm honestly, that's one of the things I'm most proud of is this development of starting at the kettlebell and ending where I am now doing Olympic level lifts at pretty high level. You know, I, I can snatch 235. Well, that's pretty good. It's not my body weight yet, but, you know, I'm missing about 12 inches of my arm. That's not bad. I got to be pretty excited about that. Right. You know, so I, I got, I got, I sort of have to take some of these small wins and just say, yeah, that, that's pretty good, man. I got it. You know, so, <laughs> but yeah, a lot of the modifications. And the other thing is I've never been big on prosthetics. First of all, they cost a ton of money. Secondly, there's no feel. I don't, I don't, I've never felt like there's any feeling there. I don't, I don't get an opportunity to, to, to see how the weight's moving. And then lastly, from a safety perspective, I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to be tied mechanically to a barbell that has weight on it ever. You know, if it falls on the floor, that means I'm going with it. If, right. you know, so I just, it's always seemed like a safety issue for me. But um, the other thing about the weight room too, is like you, you can't lie or cheat. The, the weight will tell you what you've been doing and how you've been doing it, or if you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Um, and so those are all things that have combined to, to help me modify what's happened and what I'm doing with my body, uh, particularly because it's important. I am symmetrical on both sides that I'm doing things bilaterally, that it's not okay to just do presses with my left side because then, you know, things get out of whack and you, you have an opportunity to hurt yourself. So, um, yeah, man, I love the weight room though. I could talk about that stuff all day. <laughs> I think, you know, and, and just in, in sharing that, Josh and Dean, like one of the things that popped into my head is, is like injured athletes, yeah. right? Guy that breaks his arm or, you know, even a sprained ankle where, you know, they, they don't, they, you know, they don't have the usage of it because they've, they've been injured or even an ACL injury. So many times we see high school kids or even high school coaches that are like, yeah, yeah you know, you're hurt. You don't have to lift, which is the exact opposite, right? Yeah, because that, that gives them purpose, you know, and it also gives them hope. You know what I mean? Because it's like, holy smokes, you know, I'm able to do this, you know, and I, you know, it makes your rehab better. And so I think injured athletes is, 
is a great message. You find a way and coaches too. find a way, right? Yeah. And, and uh, truthfully, a lot of people message me to ask me, right. You know, they're, they'll say, Hey, I'm doing this. Um, what other things should I do? And a lot of times it's not find more things to do. It's find ways to make sure you can do things on both sides. Like, okay, you do have a broken wrist and you can't use your arm. Does your elbow work? Does your shoulder, can you still retract your scap? Can you still, you know, so those are all things that you have to do because when those things start to get weak, when you do get that mobility back, wherever it is, you're going to get hurt somewhere else because it's weakened versus the other side. And so, yeah, we, I have a lot of those conversations with athletes who are injured and um, I'm glad people reach out. I'm glad that we're a resource now for that, that people recognize that we're resources for those kinds of things. So um yeah, anybody who's listening, if you have, if you have an issue, feel free to reach out we'll to that myself or somebody else who has it. Um, you know, if there's a below the knee amputee and you're um, recovering from an ACL injury, talk to them. They'll, they'll be more than happy to, to uh, discuss what they do for training. I'm, I'm positive of it. You know, that's what, uh, you know, I was a big basketball player in, in high school and that was my main sport, although I played multiple, multiple sports. When mm-hmm. I tore my ACL my junior year, you know, we didn't have the weight rooms that the high school's got now, but we just had just a little bit of weight room and it just drove me nuts being injured. That was my first injury I ever had. I never had a broken bone besides a sprained ankle and a sprained finger and, and stuff like that. I was, you know, thinking of you, Josh, and just that you want to be competitive. I just went in a weight room because I was just so bored because I was so used to playing yeah. and being busy and being competitive. That's how I started to lift weights and train. And that's how my love for the weight room became what it is today. And is the reason why I wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach, because all the life lessons you learn in a weight room are, you know, are, are just huge. And I just fell in love with it mm-hmm. and just being competitive every day. You can be competitive in a weight room. I know a lot of people say, well, you know, you can simulate, you know, some competitiveness in the weight. room. It's not the same as your sport, but my, my mindset was, Yes, it is. Cause I'm trying to get, I'm, I'm going to practice. I'm trying to get better in my sport yep. or in a game. I'm trying to get better. And in a weight room, I'm trying to get better too. When I walk out of that weight room, I want to know that I got better, you know, whether it was moving a bar fast or what it was more weight, whether it was better technique or whatever the case was, you know, it was competitive to me and I'm a numbers guy. And I think we all are, you yeah. know, you shot, but you're trying to get another inch, you know, in the weight room, we're trying to, Ryan was with Wisconsin and them guys are, you know, putting on another 50 pounds and they're trying to PR in season, you know, instead of just lifting, they're trying to get better. You know, I always tell our athletes, you know, progression must be an obsession or regression will set in. If your mindset is, Hey, I'm just going to go and just get, get through the workout and you're not getting any better. Then you're just working out. You're not training. Yep. I agree. So so Josh, let's talk a little bit about your, uh, your nonprofit okay. uh, team, team, some assembly required. Uh, you started about six, seven years ago, right? Um, yeah. Just a way to offer, you know, other para uh, athletes, you know, opportunities to compete and things like that. So just kind of explain it for our listeners. I think it's a great organization, obviously. Um, so let's kind of share some of the details of that with our listeners. Sure. We'll definitely yeah, team- before, before you, we'll put that information in our, in our show notes for all of our listeners too, to contact you through, you know, anybody that's interested in that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Team Sun Assembly Required kind of came about uh, as an accident. There was a, a CrossFit event at the Arnold Sports Festival 
and they were looking for a, an adaptive team. They, they were wondering if we could put together an adaptive team to perform CrossFit against the other able-bodied uh, teams. And we kind of put out the call and said, hey, you know, the first six people we can find, let's, let's get you guys together in Columbus, Ohio at this event and see if you can compete with them. And so that was actually before the organization started. That was just an opportunity for people to get together. And once that happened, um, obviously the, the peripheral media and all that kind of stuff around it kind of blew up. And a lot of adaptive athletes from around the nation started, you know, getting, getting in touch with all the athletes that were a part of the team and said, hey, like, this is amazing. How do I get to be a part of this? And so we started a nonprofit to give opportunities to athletes that may otherwise not be able to get into some of these events, right? This is, you can imagine the liability around having six uh, impaired athletes in your, event, in your event that requires barbells, a rig, all this other stuff, right? And so, you know, a lot of these um, organizations, a lot of these, these competitions were like, eh, I don't know, you know, it doesn't seem like you guys maybe be able to compete on their level. And so the nonprofit itself came together to say, okay, we're going to start funding opportunities for athletes to get there. We're going to fund opportunities for them to get maybe some of the, the lower end, cheaper um, apparatus that they need so that they can perform some of these things. And then as we kind of grew, it became, okay, how do we get opportunities for these athletes to get into gyms? And now it's morphed into, okay, we, we don't need to prove anything anymore. People realize the type of athletes we are now. Now it's about how do we get young people into gyms with qualified coaches uh, to teach them how to use their bodies, how to, how to, to work out. And so that's kind of where we're headed now is let's get away from having to make the point and let's get into a situation where we can get more people involved. Because like I said at the beginning, um, I, I'm really about getting people involved in fitness because I think if you can get them involved with fitness, you can get them around people who will support them and what they're trying to do. And then that leads to some personal accountability things, right? I, I've never met anyone in fitness who takes it seriously and has goals and has good people around them that isn't also succeeding in life. And so that's really what we're trying to do, right? And it, of, of course, it started with adaptive athletes, but this is something that spans everyone. Right. Um, we're all dealing with things. And if we can get around people that we love, that love us, and do something that's very hard, that proves to us every day that we have to, you know, we set a goal and now we, we're that much closer, right? We're a day better than we were yesterday. If we just keep doing that every day, we'll be a lot further along in 365 days than we were when we started this trip. And so that's really what Team SAR is all about. Hey, Josh, it's incredible that you guys are doing that. And I think it just makes such a, a big, uh, you know, difference in, in kids' lives and, and just continue to keep doing that. And again, we'll put that in the show notes, um, all that information so they can contact you. And if okay. they got any more questions with any of that, uh, you mentioned you got two kids and they play baseball and they play softball. And you're, you're a huge inspiration to everyone that knows your story and, and what you've done and so what main important lessons are you, you really try to install in or instill in your own kids? Yeah, I, you know, it's, it, it's a lot easier when I go talk to teams and, and the strength and conditioning coaches all, all over the place. It's a lot easier to talk to them than it is to talk to my own kids sometimes. Um, but I try to 
instead set an example, right? I, I try to, I, tr I try to make them notice, look how hard dad has to work. And the, and the fact that I have something cool as a job, right? I get to travel around the world. I get to be on TV. I get to do all these things. And so they inherently think, oh, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. And so from that perspective, I, I think I have a little bit of an advantage where I can just say, hey, you see all this cool stuff that happened? You see how hard I have to work to do it? And oh, by the way, not only did I work really hard, it doesn't mean I'm going to win. It doesn't, gonna, it doesn't mean that the result is going to be great. Um, but what you really need to focus on is what was the, what journey was I on? Where did I start? Where am I headed? Did I have to make some decisions? Did I make, meet some good people who could help me along the way? Because if I do fail at the end of it, I want to be able to turn around and say, you know, there were a lot of people along this trail that helped me do things. And now they're going to help me in the, in the next year, get to where I want to go. And so hopefully as much as I, I try not to harp on it, I just try to be the example and just say, Hey, did you see that? Um, I, I hope they can, can take that in for what they want. Right. You know, the other night, the Minnesota twins invited the Paralympians from Minnesota down to be recognized on the field and everything. And we sang the seventh inning stretch and it was all on video and all of a sudden on the, the scoreboard. And my son kind of turned to me at the end of the night and said, man, this is my first baseball game. Can you, can you imagine how, like how lucky I am? And I just kind of turned to him and said, no, it's, it's not luck. Like I had to work hard for you to be in this situation and I need you to recognize that. And so, you know, it, it just, I can see his face just kind of like, oh, okay. Maybe it didn't just happen for me. Somebody had to do something in order for this to happen. And so, you know, a lot of it is just um, pointing out things and not really trying to hammer it into their head. Cause I think I, as children, we've all uh, been in a situation where we don't want to be told something, whether we know it's right or wrong, uh, but hopefully they can view it and say, gosh, yeah, that seems like the right way to go. I'll, I'll emulate that. <laughs> That's fantastic. Teaching them that hard work will get you, you know, more rewards in life is, is awesome. I mean, that's yeah. more, more kids need to hear that. You know, they do. Um, so anyways, talking about kids here, Josh, um, we got a lot of high school listeners, uh, some mm -hmm. college athletes, a lot of, you know, a lot of younger athletes, you know, even some of our middle school kids in my gyms, um, listen, um, looking for competitive advantage, right? They're always looking for something, um, to put them ahead of their buddies or, or friends or, or other people in the area. Um, what's the best advice you would give to some of those kids looking for a competitive advantage? What <laughs> the bad news is that there's no shortcut, right? I, I know everybody. So I'll say cut to the chase, right? Be disciplined in what you're doing, set some goals and be relentless. Certainly about the responsibility you need to take in the results you want. Right. Um, I don't know if it happens there. I'm sure it happens all over the place, but I hear from a lot of athletes, my coach doesn't know this. My coach isn't this good at this. And my response to them always is, well, then, you know, why aren't you investing time to learn what you think they don't know and helping your coach or having discussions with your coach about what you learn and trying to help either yourself or them be more knowledgeable about what you're trying to do. Like, I don't understand why you wouldn't take ownership of that yourself and open up a relationship with your coach and discuss those things, you know, try, try building the relationship instead of just saying, uh, I'm going to be dismissive and this coach doesn't know what he's doing. So I'm going to try a different coach. And usually what happens to those athletes I see is they go from coach to coach, to coach, to coach, to coach, to coach, to coach, to coach until they find somebody just 
tells them whatever they want to hear and they satiate, you know, whatever they want to be told. And so, you know, I, I would just say take ownership and, and set some goals and take responsibility. And then secondly, if this has been really big for me lately is record everything, record your progress and everything. Data is going to help you make decisions on everything from sleep to food, to how you warm up, to how you perform, all those things. And if you record all that every day, you'll have an idea and you can make the best decisions based on how you're feeling. You know, a lot of people will say, God, you know, yesterday I, I felt great in the weight room and then today I feel like crap. Okay, well, how did you sleep? What did you eat today versus what did you, what did you eat yesterday? And so once you kind of have those conversations and you go through it with them, they go, wow, that is pretty powerful because now I can, again, take control of what's happening to myself and, you know, uh, makes decisions based off that. So those are the couple of things I guess I would, I would harp on. So our coaches out there, Josh, you know, that are working with adaptive athletes, what advice would you give, you know, to those coaches to make, you know, the experience much better for both? Yeah, I would say first, um, start with an honest assessment of the athlete and their capabilities and their limitations. So, you know, you, you, as with everyone, right? This is across the board. You got to have a good relationship with the athlete and the athlete has to, good, has to have a, a good relationship with the coach and to have an open dialogue about what the, the actual capabilities and limitations are. That's, that's gotta be the foundation for everything. And then I would say coaches just treat them like an athlete. Don't just don't treat them like they're anything other than that, right? Just be cognizant as you're training or setting up training that they're going to have weaknesses in areas or, they're going to start out with a weakness. So say for me, I'm a below the elbow amputee. If I'm just starting out, I'm probably going to have weakness from my right side over. So let's start slow. Let's, you know, let's just try to get the body moving together and doing all the right things together. And then I, I would say like, you know, after the first month of working with an adaptive athlete, like just now that they've gotten some, some cumulative work done, then start to press them a little bit, start to push them out of their comfort zone because in a lot of cases, they haven't been out of that before because people are afraid to push them. And until they start to break through that fence, you know, they're not going to, they're, they're going to push back on you. And so um, work on those small goals to get them past that wall. That, that's pretty important too. So those are the couple of things I would say, just um, assess them, treat them like an athlete, and then just be cognizant of, of the weaknesses that they have. Hey, Josh, that were all great. Great points that you made helping out the athletes and the coaches. So what's next for you? What, what, what's some of your goals, you know, moving yeah, right now, <laughs> right now I'm just trying to get through, uh, Sornex's squat tober, just doing 30 days of squatting. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm doing that. This is the, what, this is the fifth year I've done it. Uh, every That's year great. it's, you know, it's it, for me, it's a good way to start the next season because I've taken the month off it's a good way to just get really sore and to get really strong. Um, but then, you know, the season will start, we'll have an indoor season for track and uh, we'll start getting ready for the world championships in Kobe, Japan this, this summer. And, uh, you know, I, a lot of people have made a big deal about my age. I'm 40 years old. And <laughs> I don't know if they think that I'll, all of a sudden I'm going to fall off or something, but you know, my plan is to go to the Paris games in 2024 and my hope is that I can stay competitive enough to do that. And so from here on out, I'm just going to take year by year 
and uh, try to get on every metal stand I can get on. So with regard to Squatober, I've uh, I've talked with Aaron. I've met Aaron Osmus, who, who runs sure. that, obviously. Yep. And, you know, for those of you that have never done Squatober, I challenge you to do it because it is, it's a lot of fun. Yes. You know what I mean? It's a lot of fun. It's, it's work, but it's a lot of fun. But I just want to put a quick plug in for Aaron. Um, when I was with the Badgers and we played Oregon in the Rose Bowl um, and Aaron was at USC, I cold emailed him, said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm Brian Bott, you know, we have Wisconsin, mm-hmm. you know, would love to come and see, just take a tour of the campus, you know, meet with you, stuff like that. He's a, you know, very high energy guy. He's bald like me. So, we, you know, we bonded right away and uh, responded in 15 minutes. Name the day I'll come pick. He came to our hotel, picked me up took me around USC. We talked for about four or five hours in the weight room. And, you know, just another great example of another awesome coach, you know, out there and, and what he's doing with, you know, what he does with pen and paper strength app is, is really cool. So i uh, glad to hear that, that you're partaking in that too, Josh. Dean, you, you doing that at all or, or are you just. No squat over for me. No. no. Okay. Um, <laughs> putting all my energy into getting our kids better here and getting ready oh, for yeah. the season. Yeah. Um, Josh, anything else for our listeners before we, before we cut her down here? Um, no, other than, you know, the United States could use some more eyeballs when it comes to Paralympic sport. Um, every time we go to Europe, I'm always surprised at how knowledgeable, uh, particularly the folks in England are in Paris sports. Um, so if we can, you know, like everything, even track and field, the, the Olympic level athletes here in the United States, they can use your support. They can use your eyeballs to get more of it on TV uh, and to be compensated uh, correctly for for the type of work that they do. And uh, so if you ever see anyone or if you ever see anything on TV, watch it (laughs) and uh, be supportive of the people in your community. And I would say if there are adaptive athletes that you know of that are um, at schools that you maybe play against whatever um get them involved with with paralympic sports because um it's growing and the, not only is the interest in the sport getting better the 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 support for the athletes is getting better so um again it's they're just opportunities for you to travel the world and and compete and all those kinds of things so um yeah hopefully we can get paralympic sport on a little higher level here agreed agreed 100 percent Fox Valley throws. You got a little plug for yourself here before we head out. No, you know, the biggest thing is we got sessions continuing for three more Sundays and then we'll be starting up in January. And Josh, I'll definitely be uh, giving you a phone call here when we're done with this podcast this week. And I would love to just talk throws with you. Sure. Absolutely. That'd be awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah, it was great having you on Josh. Um, I love when, when our, when our guests, you know, plug some of the, the messages that I use at Sports Advantage um, and your talk on competitive advantage, which was, you know, recording everything, which breeds consistency, right, with what you do. And then, you know, we talk about relentless effort. Um, and then the last one is ownership. Those are our three pillars at Sports Advantage. And so um, I really appreciate um, you sharing a lot of your information today. It was it was fantastic. And then also talking about adversity, man. Kids got to be put in, in kids and adults you know, have to learn how to face adversity, be okay with it and, you know, fight to overcome it. And you're not always going to beat it, but at the same time, you got to attack it instead of running away from it. So yeah, embrace it, embrace it. Absolutely. And so with that, Josh, we're going to, 
we're going to sign off here. Dean, it was great seeing you. Josh, it was great to chat with you for a while. Hopefully we'll get you on again. Um, that's going to end the episode of Get Your Edge podcast. We'll have all of Josh's information uh, in our show notes, um, as well as the team, some assembly information there. So everybody can check that out. We will see everybody here next time. Chop it. <laughs>